Hi, I'm Brent Stafford and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. It's often said challenging times can make the man, and no doubt the past five months have stiffened the spine of many. Joining us today to talk about such stiffening without getting too gross here is Nick Grim Green. How's it going, Nick? Yes, well, I think we did it. I just need to make sure that your audio actually survived that. Just uh, count to 10 for me, please. One, two, three, four, right, five. All right. All right, please, anybody out there, uh, let uh, us know. Uh, this is kind of a, a joined, conjoined. I don't know if that's the right term or not here. Ah, but, we'll go uh, with it. This is regularly your time around this time that you normally yes. do the vlog. Yes, yes. My vlog, my weekly vlog on Thursdays. Uh, we're, we're here instead, and I'm really excited about it. Really very excited about it. Well, I am too, and I think that one of the... Let me just make sure I'm just uh, getting rid of this audio nicely here. I might not be able to be heard. Yeah, just want to make sure that uh, we've got the proper audio happening. So, Nick, I mean, so for those that don't know who Nick Grim Green is, so Grim Green is uh, the YouTube channel and his moniker that he's been using to take over the world. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, we're going to be talking today about some of the hysteria ginned up by the CDC over the mysterious lung-related illness. We're yes. going to talk about advocacy efforts underway to fight flavor bans. And yes. we're going to talk a bit about how vaping advocates such as yourself, and you'll fill us all in on this. I loved it how you put this the other day when we spoke, but vape, vaping advocates have put an army of vapors on Twitter. Yes, and absolutely that, we have. Oh, that is excellent. And then, of course... Um, we want to talk a bit about um, how the vape-focused YouTubers, you know, are surviving the crush of increasing censorship and constant yeah. threats of revenue model destruction. Yeah, it's a nightmare. It's a rough world out there on YouTube. You know. Oh, well, I do. I've got some idea. Though we're we're at a bit. We don't share in the same kind of a, uh, an audience. What's What's interesting. One of the reasons why I'm so excited to have you on now is that. When we last spoke several years ago, which would have was in 2016, right before mm -hmm. Scott Gottlieb, then commissioner of the FDA, came out and, and basically saved the vaping industry. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you weren't didn't have a lot of advocacy content on your channel. That wasn't no. really a, a big part of your thing. Nor yeah. was it for any of the other YouTubers that you know were making a living creating yeah. content. So why don't you, for our viewers, well, let me do this because you may not do this with the same bravado. Mm -hmm. This young man here has 70 million video views, <laughs> seven zero million video views and over 1300 videos. Uh, yeah. He's been producing them since 2009 and he's got pretty much 400,000 subscribers. He's just a, yeah. a couple thousand short. So if you haven't yeah. subscribed yet, you better get over there and do that. Yeah. What's what's taking you so long? So let me hand it over to you, Nick. Explain sure. to our audience what your content has always been, and let's yeah. leave, and then we'll leave the switch to advocacy in a second. Yeah, you know, and I've always tried to include advocacy, you know, and I, and I when I started out in two thousand nine, it was really just a matter of there wasn't any information anywhere about vaping, and I had questions about vaping that I'm assuming that I needed answers to, and I'm assuming other people needed answers to as well. And so in 2009, I, you know, I got an e-cig, I got one or two e-cigs and I thought, wow, I have a question like, does this cart fit on this atomizer? And I couldn't find the answer anywhere. So I bought the atomizer and I bought the cartridge and I tried it. Turns out it works. So I got on YouTube and I said, hey, anybody that's interested, if you're familiar with what e-cigs are, 
this works on this and it's actually a pretty good little vape. And it started off as just knowledge and, and information. People had questions and I wanted to provide answers and I figured YouTube was a good platform to do that. And I just, you know, I got on YouTube, started talking about vaping because it felt like such a huge success when you quit and you make that switch and you go like 24 hours without a cigarette. It's, it feels like a big victory. And I was riding that, that victory high and I just got on YouTube and started talking about it. Now, and what what kind of reaction were you getting from people? Were were it was it already people who were used to uh, vaping and they were coming and sharing the experience, or was it brand new people? Uh, it was actually a pretty good mix of both. A lot of my first views were just from uh, YouTube. Whoever would stumble across my videos, and I would get real weird comments like, "What the hell is that? What's this guy doing? What is that? What's an e-cig?" And you know. There was a lot of, uh, why don't you just smoke cigarettes? You know, just what, why are you bothering with that? That seems weird. Uh, eventually, I, I posted some of my videos to the ECF forum and started getting, uh, you know, some viewers and some traction there. And it, it really just snowballed. I started posting an ECF and I got subscribers and then they would share my videos and they would watch my videos and my subscribers started growing and my view count started growing and I just dove headfirst in. I, I was having so much fun like fiddling with vape gear and answering people's questions and just putting information out there that I, I fell in love with it and it, you know it just it really got out of hand real quickly. <laughs> we're just in, well, out of hand is good, isn't it? And yeah, we're just going yeah. through. I'm just showing a uh, a little bit of a move I did on uh, your YouTube channel. So this oh, is the actual yeah. homepage of your channel. Yeah. And this area of it here is your legacy, well, not legacy stuff, but it's it's the more product review, yeah, fun vape stuff. Yeah, yeah, a lot of fun product review vape stuff. There's the vape tour vlogs that are on there. For a while, I was doing the 510 report, which was really sort of advocacy centric as well. Um, I, you know, I've dabbled in 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 a, in a bunch of different styles and formats on YouTube. I'm always evolving and changing stuff up, and I'll try stuff for like a month or two, and then I'll just yeah, that didn't work. <laughs> let's let's move on. Let's try something else. Let's do something new. That's fantastic. So look, yeah. hey, so knowing that uh, knowing that we've got a technical audience here, to the extent that my audience and your audience, mine, yes. are, te mine are technical because they've gone through the pain. <laughs> um, now I'm imag imagining that your uh, audio is a little bit out of sync, and if your your people might be able to, I'm looking at YouTube right now. If anybody mm -hmm. can let us know how bad uh, Nick's out of sync. I've noticed this is a new version of our software that we're using. And so I may be able to fix it while we're on air, just talking. I just mm. need to know how bad it is. So if somebody can say if it's really bad or hardly noticeable, that'd be nice. To find Someone that will out. let me know, I'm sure. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, I'm waiting here for that too as well. It's, you know, it's for me, becoming from the news side and, mm -hmm. and doing our segments have always been, you know, these short, tight, eight to 12, 15 minute pieces. But our interviews were always, you know, an hour long and then mm -hmm. you know, squish it down into into a good tight package. Mm -hmm. But we had to go live. Uh, there was no other way to be covering this stuff. Now, you did something similar, too, as well. Was it for yeah. some of the same reasons? Uh, yeah, it was for some of the same reasons. I kind of just felt like. Uh, that's the way that that YouTube was going anyway, as far as a trend amongst YouTubers was the live format. And 
I had never in my, at that time, you know, eight or nine years on YouTube, I'd never done even one single live stream. I've just never done it. And people had been doing it for years already. And so I thought it's time. Like now's the time. It was, it was a really good timing. I had been doing uh, my vlog on Thursdays. It had been a pre-recorded you know, I'd sh- spend a day shooting it and a day editing it, and then I'd publish this big two-hour-long video that was the vlog, and, and I and I loved it, and it was like my most popular program, you know, my most popular thing that I put out on YouTube, and so I just kind of went down that road, put two and two together, and the vlog made a perfect choice to turn into a really fun live stream, and the vlog just went live. Um, just this last year in 2019 and it's been incredible. The response has been awesome. People love it. I love it. It's, it's a real big like weekly hangout time, fellowship time. We, we, we taste beer. We talk about gear. We talk about liquids. We talk about advocacy. Um, you know, I, I hear from my subscribers. We do viewer mails. It's, it's really, really fun. And after my first live stream of the vlog, I was just, I was just hooked. I thought streaming is so fun and I love it and I just love it. And I look forward to it every single week now. And, uh, that's, that's just how it is now. And I'm, and I'm, it's, I'm glad I went down the live streaming route. Yeah. I mean, it certainly has got, it, it certainly has the immediacy feel to it. That yes. is so important. Yes. And then the fact that you get to share this moment with people watching, like people are here watching and we got to get to share that with them. And that's, I think that's very, very cool. I do too. There's no doubt. It's, it's, excuse me. It's meant a lot for us uh, to move to this live format. Um, Practically, you know, it's funny because like, I mean, live television is not something I'm, uh, uh, that I'm unused to. I mean, I've done plenty of live uh, for Mm -hmm. MSN outlets over the years Mm-hmm. And um, love it, right? If you don't, I even here I get some of the same tinglings, you know. Oh the, yeah, the, of you know when I was on regular television, mm-hmm. and then part of that too is creating the atmosphere and the environment of the time, you know, the countdown and, mm-hmm. and everything else. Absolutely, yeah. There's no doubt. And every you know, t- I mean, every time I, before I go live on Thursdays, I, I you know I used to be in a band, and I still get that like little bit of anticipation, like a little bit of butterflies, like I'm about to grab my guitar and walk out on stage, but instead I'm sitting at my computer and I'm hitting stream. It's like that same little butterflies anticipation, you know? Right. Oh, that's true. It's totally true. I mean, it happens. You know, there's another part that, you know, I haven't really actually voiced yet on the show, Been, I guess, waiting for, you know, something a little bit less formal. You can tell I'm not wearing a tie. That's because Regwatch has a policy. When the guest has tattoos on at least a half of their neck, no Oh, tattoos. okay. Okay, yeah. good. That's, yeah. So I was uh, debating whether or not I was going to put on my sport coat and tie tonight <laughs> or not. Ultimately decided against it, but uh, well, I like I, this. I like this casual Brent. Uh, it's, uh, well, I made my choice because I know the animal that you are. Yes, well, yeah. I yeah, appreciate I w- that. If I'd seen you in a tie, that would have been real. That would have been a disaster. Yeah, but, I think a lot of people would just be confused. So True. Well, they would wonder if it was tattooed on. That would be the issue. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, Nick, I, I, let me point this out because it, it's a weird, different kind of a thing. But, you know, it's, this is when you've done, I mean, I've done probably 20,000 interviews in 30 years in the business, you know, that kind of thing. And um, when you're doing the edit, when and almost all of that's editing, um, mm-hmm. this is the longest chunk of like live interviews, you know, that I've done. 
Mm -hmm. And when you're editing, you've got a responsibility that you have to um, hold for the, the guests that you've got on the show. And as soon as you do one edit, then on that whole responsibility comes, comes into play. Mm -hmm. And then that means every other edit, you're applying the same decision-making process to what you have to, otherwise you're careless then, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, you, you basically, you're mediating the guest's message to the audience. Right. And, and when you're live, right, I, I don't do that. I don't have to do that. I mean, I, yeah. I steer the conversation, you know, I drive it, it goes where I want it to go, hopefully. Um, but the thing is, though, is that the, the guest member on our show and on shows like yours, they, they're actually owning that relationship with their audience. Yeah. And, our, and our audience is owning that time with, with the guest. Mm -hmm. Because if they don't want to stay and watch an hour and 15 minutes, then they don't. Yeah. Right. And I don't feel like I've got to cut this down to get, you know, to, to meet an audience, a short attention span. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, right. you know, longer format things, you know, even just looking at things like the Joe Rogan podcast or these other like long form uh, like podcast type of live streams where it's really, it's an interview, but it's also a discussion and there's people involved in the discussion and there's people watching the discussion happen. You know, that's like, that's the marketplace of ideas. You know, it's, it's kind of coming back into popularity. And I think about that with my YouTube videos too. I think, oh, 12 minutes might be a little bit too long, you know, but really 12 minutes isn't that long. And people no. want longer videos. People want, why, yeah. why wasn't it a half hour? Why isn't, you know, people tell me that every week. Why isn't your stream three hours long? I said, well, because I'm only one man. That's right. But it's coming back. People like this. Long format yeah. stuff. It's good. It's good. Let's, so let's jump into um, your change, your switch over. So describe, describe what happened in the moment that you realized that this content approach that you had had for mm -hmm. years, like year, mm -hmm. uh, 2000, well, almost 10 years, mm -hmm. uh, an approach you had to the content, which is very product orientated, mm -hmm. very instructional orientated, mm -hmm. very lifestyle orientated. Mm -hmm. There was a move to vaping. When was that? And what prompted you to do that? Or sorry, to advocacy. When was that? And what prompted you to do that? It was, uh, you know, advocacy is something that has always been really important to me. And it, it stems back to, I mean, even way back in 2010, there was uh, a law on the books uh, that almost got, almost got passed in California that would have been a complete e-cigarette ban in 2010. And nobody was talking about it and nobody knew about it. And I had read about it and I got on YouTube and I said, uh, there's an e-cig ban coming in California. Just so you guys are aware, I don't know what we can do, but it's, it's going to be a law soon. And then fast forward a few, you know, I think it was maybe two months later and the governor who was governor Arnold at the time, he thankfully vetoed it. And we dodged that bullet in California way back in 2010. And just seeing that process happen of how quickly they went from here's e-cigs, we're going to ban them. The governor vetoed it. And now there's, it was like, I thought, wow, like we're going to have an uphill battle. I think always, always. And people are going to need to be informed and people are going to need to be educated. And this is going to grow into be a thing. And so I've always put, a little bit of emphasis on that, on being, uh, you know, aware of what's going on. And, uh, 
even in my vlogs, I've always included advocacy and I loved, I've always talked about some news articles and stuff like that. And ultimately it was, it was what happened on September 11th, 2019 of this last year when Donald Trump was talking about, you know, people are dying that it really was like a big, okay, now we need to put the pedal to the metal. My shift, my focus shift completely to advocacy, activism, let's get involved, let's educate people, let's get loud on Twitter. This is like do or die time. And that was, you know, that was the big shift for me. And it was just a no brainer. I was like, this is what I have to do. Have to. Now, how did your audience react to that? In the past, advocacy kind of stuff on YouTube channels was yeah. not so, such a hot deal. I know because that's pretty much, we cover all of that, right? Yeah. And so for the longest time, it was, it's not, mm-hmm. you know, been the hottest topic, right? Yeah. And it never, yeah, it never really was until it needed to be, you know, uh, and, and the same thing goes for, sorry, <laughs> gross vapor. Uh, same thing goes for a lot of social media. You know, I would post uh, advocacy things, even on Instagram, you know, a few years ago when it's like, oh, well, there's a, a 20% tax proposal in this state and here's the call to action and you'd post it on Instagram and it's like, uh, you know, 50 likes, just poor, poor performance. Nobody really likes it. Now you post on Instagram and it's like, here's a call to action. We're calling governor Charlie Baker's office. Here's the phone number. And it gets crazy interaction and uh, tons of people are involved in it and people are making those phone calls. And it just, you know, it wasn't important until it was important. Fair enough. That's the only way I can, you know, that's the only way I can think of it. And honestly, a lot of my most recent videos talking about the American Heart Association, talking about the White House meeting, talking about, uh, you know, whatever advocacy advice, things like that. They've been doing really well and getting really good engagement because that's the, you know, that's the hot topic right now. And I want to just continue putting information out there. And it's it's crazy how it's shifted. It's just I'm glad I'm, I'm overjoyed that people are into it now and they're on it and they see what's going on and, and they see these things happening and they see how they can be involved and that when they're more educated and more involved, things are going to, you know, things are going to go better. We can make a difference. So in your mind, um, where does Trump stand with the vaping community? So we're talking about the way vapors feel about Trump. Um, Look, I mean, I can't speak for the majority of the vapors. Um, There's a lot of vapors that are Trump supporters. There's a lot of vapors that aren't Trump supporters. I personally, I I don't like what Trump has been doing with vaping. The fact that there was this recent separation of the flavor ban is only going to include pods and it's not going to include open vapor tanks or liquids from vape shops uh, that seemed like a very uh vote grabbing kind of announcement that doesn't really do anything it doesn't really fix anything it doesn't really change anything he's just kind of telling us what we want to hear so that maybe we'll vote for him i think he's just vote pandering without making any real change and so i feel like since september 11th a lot of the vape community and industry have just been very skeptical of of Trump, his intentions, and and the decisions he's making. Yeah, it's definitely uh, we we got the Trump treatment. That's for sure. Yeah, 
And so it, yeah, I mean, honestly, I can commiserate now with so many people who have felt that same thing where he steps all over them without knowing what the heck he's talking about. Yeah. And then retreats a little and then still is an elephant in the room. Yeah. It's, it's hard to say. I, I have to admit that there was some hope for me because once the issue became a real issue for Trump, one that he understood more details about how important it was, which I do think, mm-hmm. I do believe he now does know those details Yes, to a certain extent. I, I, it would be impossible for him to, to not know that. Yeah. That in the end, that would be helpful because I believe that that would have, was going to put it on the 2020 uh, presidential election map, yeah. which it, it is now. It's well, eking on. It's eking, yeah. It's eking on. In Mm -hmm. fact, if you are a vapor um, and every single Democratic candidate from the local, state, you know, know, national, you should be asking them about where they stand on on vape bans. Definitely. Yeah, even even if they're not, even if even if you already know that it's going to be crap, you need to make sure that everyone realizes on all sides that this Mm -hmm. is an issue of importance for the election it's a very real thing you know uh advocates like uh you know matt cully gets on twitter and we talk about the vape vote you know even paul blair americans for tax reform talking about the vape vote it's a segment of people millions of people nationwide that are mostly single issue voters on this subject no one no one is catering to the vape vote no one is it's kind of hard it's kind of hard because the vape vote is actually um uh what's what's the right word it's a it's a coalition it is it's a little ambiguous yeah yeah because you know there's a lot of smokers on the left or were Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. there were progressive smokers there were Mm -hmm. socialist smokers communist Mm -hmm. smokers and then of course right-wing smokers and even i mean smoking touched every you know so many people's lives Mm -hmm. it's only after all of these years of being being beaten down and and crushing smoking that it's kind of turned into what they believe is a more definable group. Smokers are the deplorables. Yes, absolutely. Without a doubt. And it's always been quit or die, right? Smokers, quit or die, quit or die. And then we quit with vaping. And then it's like, well, not that way. <laughs> I, I, I legitimately feel... One of the reasons that they get so upset about vaping is because it's an enjoyable experience and they feel like smokers should be paying their penance and being punished. You know, it shouldn't be easy to quit smoking. You should suffer because of the bad decision you made to pick up smoking and the fact that we can pick up something that tastes delicious and instantly quit and enjoy it. Oh, they don't like that. Oh, they hate that. They hate that. Yeah, They hate that. So there are a couple of things about that. Uh, one is all those former smokers that had to quit the old way are yeah. angry and bitter, yes. and pissed off and fatter. Yeah. And we're like, oh man, I quit smoking. I didn't even, I, I lost five pounds. Yeah. What are I you feel talking great. About? I feel the best yeah. I've ever felt. I'm running. It's everything yeah. else. And they're just, yeah, I know I've seen, I've seen people I know that quit smoking a year before vaping really took off yeah. and they just hate vaping. Yeah. Like, well, I had to quit the hard way. (laughs) You know, I had to quit the hard way. You got to quit the easy way. And they don't like that. They don't like it at all. No, they don't. 
And there's another reason. I'm going to get political here just for fun because we are in that type of a show. Hey, it's your channel. Uh, Thank you very much, sir. I appreciate that. Uh, Though I do defer to guests on this, on the politics part of things sometimes. I'll jump in. Um, So, okay. So people need to understand this. Mm -hmm. They really got to get it. We've talked, I've talked a lot on this show about progressives. We've had guests talk a lot on the show about progressives, including Paul Blair and Guy Mm -hmm. Bantley just recently. Plenty of people have. And, you know, it's hard to get your head around this, but let me put it to you this way. Progressivism is up here, and underneath it is socialism, fascism, and communism. Sure. They, socialism, fascism, and communism all share 100% the same utopia as progressivism, the same concept of historical uh, determinism as progressivism, and the outcome is the same uh, earth, uh, you know, a paradise on earth as progressivism. And all three, communists, socialists, and fascists, all believe that they're progressive, use the word progressive are progressive. Right. So it's progressivism, right? There's this thing. And so it, it can cross a bunch of different areas. But, and it's foremost is it's anti-individual. It's just as simple as that. And however yeah. strongly that manifests itself, you know, from socialism and communism, fascism is a little bit different, but in the end, it is the individual must submit to the state. Yes. Um, and while they may believe in the individual, as in it exists, they mm-hmm. believe that society is prior to the individual. So yes. society always must be over top of the individual. And society is indeed an organism, something that actually is, has its own living, breathing. Society has its own destiny of history. And, and that is in conjunction with the state um, as it plows forward to make that happen. So what's very, very interesting is that how, like, Something like um, something like smoking. Um, how could that be? Say, uh, it, like how how could that be something that could be bad? Say, in communist under communism, for instance, and it was in some places under communism. Yeah, and you think about it, and it's and it's like if if you allow an individual to experience their own small little slice of pleasure. Mm-hmm. Right, and that they own that. that. That's the decision they've made. That's the thing that's theirs. That helps them escape from the daily worries of every, whatever. It's right. not alcohol. It's not like you can smash. It's this right. pleasure. Mm-hmm. If you allow that pleasure to happen, then you are basically granting the individual's right of existence over yes. the state. Right. So yeah. with something like smoking, you really must smash it because it, because to leave it you're leaving individualism. Mm -hmm. Does that make some sense? It does. It does. You're leaving individualism. And it's also, you know, when the state takes on the burden of caring for the citizens, you know, and I don't want it to get to this, but when this, you know, I'm, I'm a less government guy. I'm a more freedom guy, less government guy. That's me. The bigger the government gets and they're taking on responsibilities like this, like, the welfare of their citizens, then ultimately the only thing that's going to come from that is less freedom. That's all that's going to come of it because drinking, oh, we can't have you guys drinking and getting drunk. Uh, You're causing too many deaths, too many sicknesses. We have to foot the bill for all your uh, liver disease. So drinking is now off the table for the greater good of this utopia, of this state mandated utopia. Oh, smoking, 
You thought it was free America. You thought you could. You had the freedom to be stupid. You don't. You can't smoke anymore. It's too much lung disease. It's too much heart disease. We have to bear that burden for the greater good. No more smoking. It's a real slippery slope as to what you'll have to give up for the greater good. And I dislike that very much. With more government, you only just get less freedom. And the way you just put that is perfect. I mean, write that down and put it in a book, man. <laughs> really good. And, and so then let's add the children part to it because it, it's not just, it's not even just, you know, what to protect society. It's like you have to protect the children, which then thus right. protects society. Yes. And that's the maddening concept that, that's out there. It, it is. It is. And it's because, you know, the, the, the parents, I don't know, for whatever reason, want the state to help them parent their their kids or they want the state to protect their kids and kind of create this nerf world where you know nothing bad can possibly ever happen no kids will ever rebel you know in a perfect world everybody gets straight a's and everybody goes to school and nobody smokes and nobody drinks and nobody experiments with anything and nobody experiments with sex and nobody does anything like that and instead of the parents taking that burden on they are all they do is just ask the state to ban it or to take this away so that they don't have the responsibility of having to deal with that. And again, you just invite, and I think that's a terrible lesson to teach your kids to begin with, to tell your kid, look, if you ever run into any trouble, just ask for more government. Just ask the government to come help you. Just rely on the government 100%. I think that's a terrible thing. <laughs> I think that's a terrible thing. You, fr you friend are sounding a lot like a conservative, but I don't know. Well, wanna... here's the thing. I mean, I was, I used to be very, very conservative. I'm, I'm really more of a libertarian sort of leaning uh, person now. I'm a registered libertarian, although the party's kind of all over the place these days. We're not even trying anymore. Fair we enough. don't even have a candidate yet. But that's the kind of the ideology I, I guess I would subscribe to the most. Small government, more freedom. That's the America I want to live in. Yeah, I, that sounds like, obviously, that's blissful compared to where we have now. If me, me on the more traditional conservative side is that I do believe that there has to be some boundaries. So mm -hmm. I'm not all for, like, just making all drugs legal and right. all that kind I of mean, stuff. That kind yeah, of thing. I agree. You know, and look, this we've come to a point in 2020 where maybe political ideologies, you can't get so entrenched in them anymore. There's going to have to be a little bit of give and take. I want, I want freedom, but I also understand that, you know, you're going to have to compromise maybe on, on some things. There needs to be some government, this, there needs to be some government that, and I understand that. And I'm willing to work with people. If people are willing to work with me, but the problem is, it seems like nobody's willing to work with anybody. It's just Republicans and then and, and Democrats, and then that's it. And you either agree with one and you hate the other, and that's it. The two-party system. It's, I think that's the root of all the problems. Well, uh, the two-party system, though, in the U.S., it, it was the key factor. The founders insisted it be a two-party system. Otherwise, it would have, you know, you yeah. know integrated into a parliamentary system really you know it would have just been really hard yeah. there's a there's a whole other uh, i'm trying to remember who is it calvinism i'm not quite sure this is really digging deep back in into yeah. econo into economics but 
um, there is a philosophy of um, politics that says that you want a government so ineffectual that they can't get anything done. So the more that they're arguing and the more they're fighting and the more gridlock there is, that, then that's the most effective government because they, they stay out of, out of your hair. But yeah. that particular um, philosophy was developed before the administrative state. So with the fourth estate, you know, with the administrative state, what's happened is, is that the elected bodies have basically siphoned off their responsibilities to actually create laws. So they create mm -hmm. the framework and then they empower the bureaucrats at the mm -hmm. agencies to then make regulations, you know, and then do yeah. all of that. So, I mean, that's our problem right now. You know, Congress is not, you know, making vaping illegal. It's the FDA that's doing that. Yeah. It's not, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not Congress. It's the FDA. And yeah, I mean, we have checks and balances in place in the United States to kind of prevent some of the things that are already happening with this, like this crony capitalism, stuff like that. It Do they work? Do the checks and balances work? I don't know. So, I don't know exactly uh, where I was going with that thought. That's okay. That's a good good spot because I'll I'll just take us right out of left into left field. So right after September 11th and just you know the hysteria just went crazy. There crazy. was and yeah crazy. There was an adequate uh, uh, as we're discussing here an adequate response, more than adequate, uh, but definitely I'm just going to use that word because I don't want anybody saying more should have been done or this not. It was an adequate response by vapors. Uh, in terms of jumping on and, and serious, you know, taking the issue seriously, yeah, banging away the White House in New York. I'm not too sure. I think well, I won't say the name. I, I know the, who the gentleman is, but he they had this all teed up where uh, he used this Hitler quote. In, oh uh, yeah, people use that Hitler quote all the time. Oh, it's so fun, isn't it? Yeah, it's just great. Oh, let's just quote Hitler today. So the state must declare the child to be the most precious treasure of the people. As long as the government is perceived as working for the benefit of the children, the people will happily endure almost any curtailment of liberty and almost any deprivation. Yeah. Yep. 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 A hundred percent. And I mean, that's what you see when you go to, I've been to so many flavor ban hearings and every time you go downtown to LA, there's just kids, anti-vaping kids, the, the pave people and the kids even get up there and speak and talk about how their friend was so addicted to the jewel and he had to go in the bathroom to use it and please ban jewels, protect us from jewel and please ban them. We support this flavor ban and it drives me up the wall. I, I mean, it drives me up the wall. It makes you, me insane. I, I, I want to just say the adults are talking. Okay. Like, this is a serious, we're passing legislation here that's going to affect tens of thousands of people, hundreds of small businesses, might force people back to cigarettes. Your concern has been duly noted, nine-year-old, but the adults are talking. Out, out of the room, please. Out of the room. I can't, I, it makes me sick when they prop up kids like that. There's no, well, I mean, there is no way that these kids could have really this knowledge or understanding without it No, being. not at all.
Not at all. They just know what their angry mom told them. I'm assuming, I mean, maybe I'm jumping to conclusions. Maybe there is a seventh grader out there that has really dug into this and looked at the National Youth Tobacco Survey data to see if there really is an epidemic. And I doubt it. Stranger things have happened, but most of the time they're just saying what they've been told to say because they're kids and they're impressionable. Well, and we know that it is a tactic of tobacco control. They, you know, tobacco control on the left and the progressives, they speak, talk all the time about the, the dirty tactics of big corporations and big tobacco and so forth. I mean, that's about yeah. the whole narrative, right? But right. there's these, and they've got tobacco tactics, right? Which is that encyclopedia online. Uh, mm -hmm. That falls along that exact same thing. So they said, "Look, you know, well, we're gonna we're gonna uh, assassinate the character of scientists, uh, and you know what? We're just gonna do that out in the open, and we're gonna just put it all in one place, and mm -hmm. and we're and we'll put hundreds of thousands of entries there, and there you go. And we're yeah. just gonna assassinate people's characters uh, and their reputations. Yeah. Now, with the kids, we know this a hundred percent. I mean, it's clear, right? In 1994." It was the very first tobacco control program that was started in Florida uh, in high schools to turn kids into little anti-tobacco Nazis. Mm -hmm. and, they, and, they, and then it spread all across the country. Huge, huge, big in California, huge, massive in California. So mm -hmm. the infrastructure uh, in which tobacco control is fighting their anti-vaping propaganda, their war, the, that whole infrastructure, they're just using their anti-tobacco infrastructure yeah. and it's plugged straight into the kids they yep. know exactly how to program these kids they know yeah. exactly how to trigger the less than cool kids who want to join together in these groups and wear the pink shirts or whatever and mm -hmm. hold these signs and do that and they know mm -hmm. they and every year there's another group of these kids they, they so they know kids mm -hmm. so well right that mm -hmm. they can get them to do all of this stuff there's no doubt in my mind that they know kids so well that they got them vaping jewels uh, yeah. Uh, well, you know, and here's the thing. When you're a kid, yes, I agree with you. And when you're a kid, you generally, at least I did, you listen to adults, right? Because they're adults. They're grownups. And so when an adult says, you know, anti-Jewel, we're going to put on this shirt. Here's what you're going to do. Here's what you're going to say. You kind of, you're a kid and you go, oh, okay, you're a grown-up. You know, you know better than me. So I'm going to, obviously I'm going to do what you say. And even when, you know, when you look at the 2018 National Youth Tobacco Survey or the 2019 uh, National Youth Tobacco Survey, and it says the number one reason for kids experimenting with Juul, curiosity. Hmm. How did they get curious about it? Couldn't have possibly been the FDA putting posters in all of the middle schools saying, here's a Juul, all your friends are doing it, but don't do it. All right. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing, right? They know they know how to make things cool. They certainly yeah. don't. They certainly don't know how to make things uncool. Mm -mm. I mean, if there's one thing for for certain, that <laughs> they know how to make things cool. Usually by saying that it's uncool, right? But they, exactly, they don't know how to make things uncool. No, then that's what we need to do. Is we need to make vaping uncool. Well, yeah, I mean, like at I least guess, uncool to youths. Yeah. Make it an old, make it an adult thing. Make it an like an adult thing. Make it like reading glasses or pants pulled up too high or something. You know, make it unattractive to youths. That's all you really need to do. Well, there's a problem there. And I'll tell you, let me get your 
response on this. I'll try to make this quick. Okay. It's very simple. Is that is that for for this whole vaping thing to work? One, ten million smokers still left. Is that or thirty eight million? Yeah, thirty eight oh, million uh, yeah, smokers in the, like in the U.S. Forty million smokers yeah, in the U.S. Million, yeah. yeah, and like five million in Canada, that kind of thing. So I mean, we're we're talking about millions and millions of people. So to move them from vaping, so as long as there's forty million people still smoking in the U.S then there's going to be new smokers joining up every year, right? Because, the, yeah. you know, with, with all the advertising and everything else, there's a pathway into smoking, and we know that that's the case. There's, mm -hmm. you know, 40 million smokers. Mm -hmm. So now, the only way that that's going to change through vaping is if vaping is normalized. Yes. And the last five months has been the accruement of the complete assassination of the virtue of vaping. So they're, mm -hmm. in, in fact, not normalized, denormalized uh uh it is as deadly or deadlier than smoking banned so mm -hmm. it's the complete opposite so you were it's never gonna it's never gonna work that's never never gonna work <laughs> if you allow adults to be normalizing vaping so millions of smokers are vaping then that will normalize it for the kids and so you can't make it uncool for the kids yeah while normalizing it for the ad adults yeah there's that's the that well that's the ultimate catch twenty two, isn't it? You're just stuck in a pickle there. Well, first of all, it's just easy completely. solution. You realize that vaping is you know not as de not deadly, right? You realize that vaping is not going to kill anybody. Yes, that nicotine is is not harmful. That these that if you want to pick up a recreational nicotine habit through vaping and you're over mm -hmm. twenty one, more power to you. Yeah, you should if you're be in able California, to. If you're in California, pick up your vape right beside your pot, yeah, right? Exactly. So that's the thing. So it 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 does work when you when you now I let me throw this at you. I believe that everyone has made the mistake that they weren't fighting this on a liberty issue from day one. Yeah, I only recently, uh, within the last two months, came around to that sort of line of thinking that it, it, is, it is it is a liberty issue it's an adult choice issue um all you need to do to smoke cigarettes uh, is be over 21 and have an id and that's it you can get cigarettes you want to get hammered on birthday cake flavored vodka be 21 and have an id that's it you want to vape well you know could lead to cigarette smoking and, and nicotine addiction and oh we have to ban it and it can't, you know, why, why for alcohol is it just 21 and ID, but that's not good enough for vaping. How is that? That's insanity. I see no reason why it's, it, it is an adult choice issue. Yeah. hundred percent liberty issue. Yeah. So, I mean, we're stuck in this flavor thing and we're, and we're just fighting their game. Yeah. I mean, Flavors, flavors, flavors. The insanity of, of flavors being, I mean, it's really, truly insane that flavor's an issue. What drives me nuts is seeing the church charts and often the quotes um, talking about how uh, there is a small segment of teens that um, vape unflavored. And it's in all of the surveys. And I'm like, what's an unflavored vape? Those don't exist. Yeah. What is that? That doesn't exist. A completely unflavored vape? Yeah. And it's right in the stats. It's in the government stats. It's all over the place. And in British Columbia, here in our province, your states, mm -hmm. us, um, BC, 
they put out in their regs, which are still under review right now, and they actually said that research shows that teens start vaping with unflavored zero-nick vapes. Something like that. Really? Just like, yeah. That yeah, just seems maybe. so out of left field. That just seems it, so out of left field. It is insane. Like, well, this thing has really gotten people's brains scrambled. Yeah. And what, you know, flavors aren't, it, flavors don't only appeal to youths. Flavors aren't exclusively a, a, appealing to youths. And one of the things that drives me crazy is when politicians say, oh, well, they have a gummy bear and cupcake flavored e-liquid that appeal to kids. And then you you actually ask the kids what they're vaping and they vape mint. But they're leaving menthol on the market. Yeah. And I mean, see, all of this kind of government uh, uh, jury rigging and stuff never works. Oh, OK, well, it was menthol was a problem. And then Jules took the menthols off. And yeah. then all of a sudden they all went to mint. And so Pave and everyone saying, well, look, they really like mint now, too. Yeah. Well, I mean, kids are going to look when when I was a kid, I knew a bunch of kids. And I'm not making any, you know, I'm not admitting anything here. But there was a bunch <laughs> of people I know that huffed gasoline. Like oh. literally took the fumes from gasoline from the lawnmower. Wow. And got you, high. Canadians, you're out of control. Unbelievable. We're crazy up here, right? Yeah. So that's why we say A all the time. No mm. people don't know that. If a Canadian says A, that's the moniker you know they huffed gas when they were a kid. Oh, <laughs> like, wow, that's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> For all of you Americans, please do that to a Canadian once in your life and go, oh, we heard that that means you huff gas. Yeah, I heard that means you huff gas. Yeah. Well, yeah. You won't, you know, you won't get punched in the face because it's Canadian and they're too nice. That's true. That's true. They all say sorry while, while you insult them. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, sorry. Okay. So here, let me find this here because, um, this was important. And if you remove mint and menthol from the market, I really do believe that the youths in that segment will either just go to tobacco or maybe go to cigarettes. Right. Yeah. Okay. Let me read you this line. So it wasn't both. It, it was only one thing. So non-nicotine or non-cannabis e-substances will not be permitted for sale in BC. So you can't have, so they're trying to prevent the, sh the short fills or whatever. Oh, okay. Uh, I see. Yeah, yeah. So you can't, you can't just sell, you know, pure PGVG mixed right already. So you can't do that. This restriction is to prevent youth from starting vaping. Research suggests youth start vaping by using flavored vapes that do not contain nicotine or cannabis. So they're saying research shows in British Columbia, research shows the kids, they're, they're, they're vaping the flavors, but not the nicotine. And that's how they're getting started. Like what? So like the flavors are more demonized than even the nicotine is. But if there's no nicotine in it, then what's the danger? What's the concern? They're not possibly getting addicted to anything. I mean, they could get mentally addicted. I mean, it's a long shot, but they could get mentally addicted to like the hand to mouth and exhaling and inhaling. But without nicotine in the mix, what what is the concern? Well, what's that's the concern, Canada? Totally, and, and not even the, and fair enough. Like That's one thing. But the other thing is that Kids vaping non-nicotine e-juice are not how they get started. 
Yeah. That's just not right. Uh, yeah. Like, it's going to be a jewel or something. And yeah. They don't, they don't come in zero. Yeah. They don't come. I find it weird that it's, that's, that's weird. That's just really weird and fishy to me because in the <laughs> United States, obviously we know it's not flavors. They initiate because of curiosity, but they do it for the buzz. All right. If you listen closely, I'm, I've been trying to make a video about this and it keeps slipping my mind. But if you listen closely during that White House meeting uh, that, you know, Donald Trump had and Greg Conley was there and everybody was there, there was there is a lady who talks about the nicotine levels and she mentioned and she's really quiet about it. But she mentions she like whispers to Trump, the kids are getting high. They're getting high. They're getting right. high off these things. They're getting high. Yeah, the kids are doing it for the buzz, for the high. When you can like grab two jewels and take a big rip on it, 50 milligram salt, yeah, dude, you're going to get the buzz of the century. And that's what they're doing. That's why they're doing it. Yeah, all right, just one second. Uh, I mean, and that explains the, I'm sorry, I'll just keep talking. And that explains the cannabis carts too, why the majority of these lung hospitalizations have been from, you know, 18 and under, you know, youths because they were using jewels, but you banned those and took them away. And then they just switched to black market THC carts. And that's why you ended up with a bunch of youths in the hospital because they're getting high. They're not, you know, doing it for the flavors. No, no. And I, I don't think it's an accurate description anyhow with nicotine to discuss that as a high. I mean. Yeah, I mean, it's a buzz. It's a buzz, yeah. It's a buzz. It's nothing more than a buzz. It's 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 nothing more than a buzz. I We would get the same thing as a kid from, like, drinking a bunch of jolt colas in a row and getting just a whole mess of caffeine into your system. And you get all, like, weird and jittery and buzzy. Yeah, kids. It's, kids it's, I know. No difference. Kids I know would do like uh, you know froggy stuff, right? So they like ha, 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 like get themselves out of air. Oh yeah, hyperventilate. And then the friend behind them would grab them and lift them yep. up and compress the chest and then drop them and then you'd be like, whoa. Yeah, you'd like pass out and be all buzzy and yeah. Yeah, and how are you going to regulate that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you can't. You can't. Look, I mean, this, you you these people are insane. They yeah. are so insane. Uh, they, they, they have ruined an entire generation or two, well, two generations, actually, of, of people. They're just useless. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, that's probably what they want. Like, none of those people are going to be able to go out and fight a war. They can't punch their way out of a wet paper bag. <laughs> they, they clearly can't even be in the work environment without being worried about having their uh, weird concepts of gender being all, you know, fried. They're just, they're sick people. We have lost two generations of people. And look, let me put it to you this way. They say, oh, you're just old and old people. And I am getting older. There's no doubt, right? Yeah, we all are. And we all are. And the thing is, though, is that progressives are the ones that have sold us this story that we must idolize the children, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and absolutely disrespect elders. That's not how it was. Mm -mm. Even a hundred years ago, right? I mean, it's very much, this was a, you know, it's very much a the progressive attitude in the 20th century, definitely by the 60s. And it's after the 60s generation, then every single piece of television, movies, you know, everything always tells this story over and over and over again, that you don't listen to anybody over 30. And if yeah. you're over 30 and you're complaining about it, that's just because you're old. Yeah. But it's not, it's not true. It's just completely screwed up. So 
So I, I say no. I say as somebody who's turning 50 years old this year, who's mm -hmm. spent, you know, three decades covering news, politics, I've lived on the edge, I've seen it all, and I'm telling you right now, this last crop or two of kids are rotten. <laughs> Just rotten from the core. Rotten, and their parents are too, and their parents are me. The, peop the people yeah. that have really screwed this up are me, my age, and yeah. the people within about 10 years of me. So if you're 60, and uh, between 60 and 40, you created this problem. That's me, 65. I'm 42. I mean, I don't have any kids, but maybe I helped contribute to this problem. When I, and you know, I saw a tweet the other day that made me laugh where someone said, uh, how did a generation raised on South Park and Family Guy suddenly so, become so offended by everything? That's very good. <laughs> that's pretty deep. I feel like that's pretty deep. I don't know where we went wrong, but it happened somewhere. So that's pretty interesting. When did South Park start? Uh, South Park was, I would say, 1996. Okay. Maybe so 1995, 1996. So that's interesting because, okay, so of course, at that time, um, so the people that did the, the people that, the people that are training these people <laughs> who are producing these bad crops of shithead kids, mm -hmm. uh, the, the people that are doing that, they weren't brought up on South Park or, or, or a family. Oh, guy. You're saying the, the age is, is older for that. They were brought up on well, it's just, so if it's me, what were they brought? Uh, what were you brought up on? Family Ties, oh. uh, the 1980s shows, right? Yeah. The Dynasty, mm -hmm. uh, Dallas, Cheers, uh, Cheers. I love Cheers. Exactly. And so none of none of that stuff well, pushed things. Uh, Simpsons didn't start until '89. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. And so all of that really kind of edgy content is really a 1990s phenomenon. Yeah, coming out of the Coming out of the kind of, um, I don't know what the right word is about the '80s, but but there the optimistic '80s. Yeah, there was the '80s didn't have a sheen on it like the '50s did, but mm -hmm. there but there was a similar kind of a sheen on the '80s content in its own way that applied across the board. So it yeah. no, nothing too risky. Uh, I mean, when Hill Street Blues came out. That was a big deal. That yeah. was like groundbreaking television, and that was in the early eighties. Yeah, that was a that was a gritty show for the time. Yeah, very the much 80s, so. I think. Very much so. All yeah. right, so let's do this then, okay. Nick. I want to do a little bit of flash session at you. So okay. Let's go. Let's go by state and let's start home state, California. What's going on there? How bad is it? Is it burning to the ground? Well, we know it's burning to the ground, but you know, California's out of hand. California's gone going off the rails. The problem is California is such a big state that uh, there's things happening kind of all over the state. San Francisco has banned everything, I believe. All vaping is banned in San Francisco. Um, we had an L.A. County flavor ban hearing last year that went through. Um, there was just a flavor ban hearing in Irvine, California, I believe, that went through. So a lot of the local municipalities are passing their own flavor bans. And in addition to that, Gavin Newsom is. We're back up. Oh, OK. Uh, yeah. Just, is it? Uh, yeah. I mean, we are. Uh, so it should be picking up on the stream. It shouldn't be shouldn't be a little of a long break. 
So uh, go ahead and, uh, yeah, so let me just. California, Gavin Newsom, uh, he, he, he went on the news and he had a big press conference uh, and he was talking about how if he could, he wishes he could ban all this stuff. He, he got on there and he looked very, you know, g- legitimately upset that he couldn't overuse his power just to ban something outright. He got up there on this news conference and was saying, well, it turns out that I can't just ban these products. You know, we're going to have to go through the legislative process, that annoying system of checks and balances to protect me from you. We're going to have to go through this process. So I'm urging lawmakers to draft legislation as soon as humanly possible to get these products out of the hands of kids, uh, to ban these products in, in in the state of California. And so that's the last I heard. And so that's coming down the pipeline. In California, that's not surprising. So, like, not surprising. Actually, upset that he wasn't able to. Yeah, seemed legitimately bummed that he couldn't just ban something. He really did this. It turns out we have to go through the legislative process, and I'm thinking, yeah, you you definitely do. I mean, that's same thing just happened in New York. Uh, A judge struck down the flavor ban in New York for the same exact reasons. He said. Sorry, Governor Cuomo, you can't do this. Uh, you can't use your power that way. You're going to have to go through the legislative process so this flavor ban is null and void until you can draft legislation to actually go through the correct channels, have the public comment period, and and do this whole process like the United States of America. And then you can, you know, if you, if you do that, then you can have a flavor ban. So New York was my next question. Yeah. So I mean, like, it, it. I don't understand what's happening there. So I mean, is is there going to be a ban or not? Uh, as of right now, there's not a flavor ban in New York. There, it, 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 he tried. Kumo tried, and um, what happened was it would have gone through if not for the VTA. I believe I give full credit to the Vapor Technology Association because they filed an injunction to basically say can he even do this type of thing? And when the judge saw it, he saw this injunction, he knew it would go through because they're correct. He can't do that. And it was up to the VTA to point out that he was overusing his power. And the judge said, yeah, Kumo, you're overusing your power. You can't do this. You have to go through the legislative processes. So he, he struck down the flavor ban in, uh, in New York, in New York, in the New York state, maybe not New York city, Oh, maybe I maybe I'm mistaken on this. I thought so it was New York the, State. Yeah, so he would have been New York State. City. Yeah, I think the city is still. I think the city still the got city, some problems. Yeah, the city still does have a flavor. And New Jersey, right below New York, New Jersey just passed their flavor ban. All it has to do is be signed, and 90 days after that, full statewide flavor ban. Full statewide flavor ban. So you know something about the impact on this. So um, with this, the first ban, which was Mich- Michigan, and when the, and that yeah. was that was literally the day after uh, Labor Day. That's how yeah. they came out swinging, swinging. In, in September. Yeah, and uh, the Michigan governor, a highly progressive governor, what's her last name? Is some weird last name, right? Uh, Whitmer. Oh, it's a Whitmer. Oh, yeah. that's easy. Yeah, Gretchen. So, Gretchen, Gretchen Whitmer. Gretchen Whitmer. 
So she she puts that out and the whole and I mean this was the template and you damn well know that she does not did not have that template originate inside her state government. No. That's coming directly from Truth Initiative or Cancer or any one of Campaign for Tobacco Free Kids. We know that, right? Because mm-hmm. that's a when you lobby government to get stuff done, this is one of the things that we're seeing here. We're seeing you know, health pressure groups lobbying government. And when you lobby government, you stick legislation in their hands or tactics and strategies in which you want them to execute. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing actual strategies that are being executed on behalf of these pressure groups Mm -hmm. by, you know, you know, uh, progressive politicians. Mm -hmm. So when Michigan did that, what happened to you? Uh, Michigan did that. And uh, we we had to close our close the liquid company. We manufactured Michigan for uh, seven years, and we we had to we had no choice. We literally had no choice. We had to close. There was there were no other options. We had to liquidate our inventory. We had to get everything out, and we had to close. And unfortunately, I mean it's really sad, but the first company that I started way back in 2012 is is just dead now. I mean, just dead and buried underground and it's awful. What kind, what, and it's just, and it's just because it's just because Gev, governor Gretchen Whitmer wanted to be the first. She wanted to address this youth issue. She wanted to address the lung injuries, even though a flavor ban or a liquid ban in the state wouldn't address these issues. She was just so chomping at the bit. She wanted to be first big governor Gretchen Whitmer it was just a knee-jerk reaction that cost a lot of people money and businesses. Unfortunately, describe the panic because I'm going to I'm going to suggest that there was panic. Uh, yeah, it was it was it was panic. <laughs> I mean, that's the only way I can describe it. We had no idea what to do, no idea what we were doing, uh, and you know, if it's government bureaucracy, right? So everything is as clear as mud. There's no ru- guidelines or when is this happening? Has this art? When is this happening? With this, that, and the other, you know, you try to contact the governor's office, and you never really get straightforward answers or anything like that. It was all really vague and mysterious. We just knew that we had felonious amounts of e-liquid that we had to liquidate, and we had one big like last liquidation sale, and then, and then, thank you, Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Now it's it's done and buried in the ground. So just to be clear on that, the ban didn't happen. And you didn't need Mm-mm. to close your business. No, it turns out. And that's even even more recently, there was a judge. I thought I was reading this today or a few days ago where a judge, she walked it back herself. And then a judge actually stepped in similarly to the way the judge stepped in in New York and said, Governor Gretchen Whitmer, you, you don't have the power to do this. You do also too have to go through the legislative process in order to execute something like this, because her yeah her ban was completely illegal, completely illegal, completely unconstitutional. She didn't have to prove. She just created this hysteria and said, "I'm using my emergency powers because it's a it's an emergency. I'm going to use my emergency powers." Well, and that's and that's the thing. So they, they don't want to have to do legislation, and so this was the tactic. That was shared with yeah. everybody. This was the trick. Yeah. The trick, so to speak. Well, I mean, and a lot of these states, California, New York, New Jersey, Michigan, Massachusetts, they have been dying 
to ban vaping for a very long time. They were just waiting and waiting and waiting. And I feel like they thought that this little lung injury thing was good, just the thing that they needed. And now they can finally, finally ban vaping. They've just been waiting to do it. So they need, waiting they need to, to ban stuff, right? Like that's, that's what makes this so fascist. Right, yeah. they they have yeah. got this ins- tax and ban, uh, the, the insatiable desire to control how other people live, uh, to deny them mm-hmm. of simple pleasures, blah blah blah. I mean, just it yeah. never ends. Yeah, so it never, <laughs> it never ends. ends. Well, let's hope this ends. I mean, so yeah, there is an ending, potential ending out there. It's not necessarily a good one. I'm and, re- and I'm going to load this up while we're talking. Just hopefully that we're not going to see this crash again. If it does, I will start it right back up. Okay. We'll know in a second. The reason why I'm just... Okay. So this is um, Ethan Nadelman, who was uh, the founder and uh, now the former executive director of the Drug Policy Alliance. And Mm -hmm. so they basically Mm -hmm. created the the pushback on the war on vaping or the war on drugs and mm-hmm. fought it. And in a lot of areas, they've had some wins. You know, obviously mm-hmm. cannabis, there's a win here. And so mm-hmm. forth. Mm-hmm. He, he has been slowly getting his head around the vaping issue and became totally awoke to it um, in 2019, early 2019. He was on mm-hmm. our show um, about two months ago, a month and a half ago, and came on and shared some thoughts about vaping in terms of what could potentially happen to it if this whole band stuff keeps moving forward. So this should start playing here. Hold on one second. Okay. I want to hear this. I just want to make sure it doesn't crash. Is I think is there's, I a think decent there's a decent possibility that we could be witnessing the beginning of the first great drug war of the 21st century. And it's going to be a drug war that is going to start off with e-cigarettes, and then it's going to turn to cigarettes themselves. Once you start banning things, you know, which I mean, that's what we're doing now. You start banning things and making it illegal to possess or to sell or whatever these things, inevitably you have to start you have to start those bands, enforcing those which bands, means that which inevitably means the police start, the start to get involved, and inevitably the prosecutors start to get involved. And so I think there's a chance that we're going to see not just getting arrested, but getting arrested, going to jail for violating the laws against vaping. They you're going to see people, see people you know, who essentially are trying to protect their health, their health to, in, to, in, in a harm reduction way that's proven way by science, by switching books to vaping. You're going to see those people and the people who buy them and market to them being arrested. Wars on drugs have so many interests. They feed our need to have a boogeyman that just stigmatizes, demonizes others. As the class composition, as the as a, as, a, as, a, as a class of people who consume these drugs, and lower relatively the willingness of the rest of society to demonize them and persecute them and prosecute them becomes ever greater because they're no longer part of our people. So I think this is a real possibility, and I'll be damned if I devoted the last three years of my life to legalizing marijuana and trying to end the war on other illicit drugs, only to be stepping down now the emergence of a great new drug war, which would do as much more harm as other ones did in the last century. 
pretty powerful stuff, eh? Oh, sorry. Oh, it's going again. Yeah, apparently that video had quite the echo in the chat. Oh, did it? Yeah, the, people were saying, uh, make it stop, and this is trippy, and things like that. Oh, it's well, okay. that's here you go. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with him, though. I mean, this is something that I had just talked about uh, recently today on our on our podcast was, I mean, the war on drugs, obviously, very much a failure, very, very much a failure, waste of time, waste of taxpayer dollars. If the war on drugs, you know, it turned out basically it was just a war on the poor, I feel like the war on vaping is a war on the middle class. Right. I really do feel like that. Because who smoker middle class people are smokers. Middle class people are vapors. This is this is no different than the war on drugs. It's just a different demographic of people. Deplorables, you know. Yeah. People that were once smokers and deplorables and now they're vapors and deplorables. It's a war on the middle class. It's a war on the middle class. Yeah, because you could argue that smokers are a little bit more on even the lower class, but the vaping is, in, is a bit more middle. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I would say that. That's interesting. That. Well, you know, that's very Marx, right? Because, of course, it's the bourgeois. It's a, it's a war on the bourgeois. <laughs> yeah, the war on the... Well, and, you know, no one really cared about vaping until the 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 rich suburban mothers found their kids with vapes kids that you know they believed would have never started smoking otherwise it didn't matter when when the lower class or poor kids were vaping it only it only came to attention when rich kids started vaping that's the problem that's interesting uh you know i'd throw it out though that like you know just as many kids overall, you would think over the years, you know, would have joints and stuff and get caught with other kind of illicit drugs that way. Yeah. But you yeah. Don't, you know what you don't have is you don't have a major corporation like Juul there. And yeah. so, and, and the progressive narrative is one where it's, it's always got to be somebody else's fault. So let me share, some of our viewers will know this and, and someone, but here's the deal, right? There, the, the progressive believes that every single person born on this planet of all time are born good. There's no such yes. thing as evil people being born evil. So the uh. thing that makes things, so you're all born good and it's faulty social institutions and ignorance that makes people go bad. So if you can mm. fix the faulty social institutions, which is everything from government to education, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then your ignorance mm -hmm. is your education. So if you can fix those tweaking, tweaking them all right way around, you can, you can create an environment in which every child will be good, mm. right? Because that's their inner state. This is Jean-Jacques yes. Rousseau uh, uh, in the French Enlightenment and and, and Rousseauism, and and yeah. that belief that that um, the purity of the human soul is in the innocence of the child, and so and that child is born good, and they're all born good. So if you can tweak all that stuff and and then you can deliver them into adulthood all good, then you've got the ability to get to the utopia. Yes. The utopia only happens through the later stages of history. That means you need generations of people that are, are, are born good and not been soiled by faulty social institutions and education. Yeah. That's, why, that's why when that thinking takes over, you get 100 million dead in the 20th century. 
because yeah. you because when you when you're faced with the animal people that you can't get them you can't get around in your head that they could ever be good well they can't be born evil well they're just they are just othered and then they they shall be shot right that's right. that's they'll sh they, you have to shoot them so yeah that's for the greater good for the greater good for the greater good <laughs> for this utopian society where everybody is is great and we live in a nerf world and there's no risks and there's no vices and and it's it's for the greater good you paint a very uh, very like happy picture you you took me to a to <laughs> normally i go normally i find my way into some of these topics you know myself but you just right there right off the bat <laughs> before we uh we'll, we'll keep going on a couple more uh things but i yeah. just want to uh take our viewers over for a second to obviously support.regulatorwatch.com that is our microsite uh for support and everyone knows we need your help, just like everyone else needs the help from our viewers. And mm -hmm. please go to sport.regulatorwatch.com, check out um, what we're doing. Now, we don't put a, a lot up there. What we have done is I got support in action here. So now you can see um, all of our videos that we've done under our fan support since September. And there's oh, these, excellent. Yeah, and these numbers, and they just will always get added to it. These numbers have obviously grown, but huge amount of content uh, produced in those 16 weeks, much of it live. And so you can see here, and Grim will be up here tomorrow in this spot. So it's a great spot I to go better to. Be. You will be Stay. my friend, <laughs> you will be. And so, yeah, so that's a really good area to go and, and, and check it out. And it's a good resource if you wanna find where all the videos are in one place. If you go to regulatorwatch.com, there's a bunch of other videos around and stuff too as well. And then of course, um, if you go to who supports regular watch our anchor supporter demand vape john glauser gotta love him thanks very much and of course sean casey and flavor art divine laboratories juno and stealth um all rocking with us here in 2020 and again our monthly Excellent. rock stars yeah i mean we got a good group of of people that Excellent. you know have really been helping out and yeah. some one-time heroes uh, uh tim from troposphere just moved from one-time heroes up to monthly He's an American guy, so it's American Greenbacks. We love those. So there you go, guys. Um, yeah. That's it. You know, please check it out. And if you can, toss us a few bucks. You'll be happy. And I'll mention that again at the end of the show. So, yeah. so Nick. So, Brent. Your guys' revenue model is, mm -hmm. is based on YouTube, right? I mean, is it is it solely that? How does it work? Uh, what can you say? And how has it been impacted? It used to be YouTube. It used to be YouTube. Um, believe it or not, there was a time throughout a lot of 2015 and a lot of 2016 where the ad revenue from from your video. So like when you go to watch a YouTube video and there's that little ad and you can't wait for the countdown and then you skip it. Yes. The content creator will make money if you click on that ad. Mm. And I used to make enough money to pay my bills, to pay my rent. I was living almost exclusively off of YouTube revenue. Wow. And that, and that I know once upon a time it was possible. Huh. And now, uh, vape channels have been so thoroughly demonetized and completely blacklisted. They don't promote us. They don't put us in trending. Even if we have, you know, rip trippers could release a video that gets a million views in the first hour and it wouldn't end up on trending simply because he's a vape channel. And it wouldn't be monetized either because it goes against their terms or their not their terms of service, their community guidelines 
We've been getting community guideline strikes for talking about harmful or dangerous content when it comes to vaping. And so YouTube has just become where I put my videos and I expect nothing in return. I expect to make zero money from any YouTube ad revenue, even though that's the dream, right? You want to get paid to upload a video. That's your content. That's your product. This is my job. I'd like to get paid for it. And YouTube kind of just turned all that down. You know, I went from making enough money to live off of to I think the last Google ad revenue I got was like 200 bucks, 150 bucks, maybe. That's insane. It is. It's insanity. Um, What a lot of people did and what I did is uh, we go through this website called Patreon. I have a Patreon. Um, You can go and sign up and it's basically a way to directly contribute to the content creators that you want to contribute to. I'm a Patreon to uh, a few YouTube channels. I'm a Patreon of Philip DeFranco. I'm a Patreon of uh, a few different people like this. And it's not necessarily that I watch their videos constantly or I'm such a big fan that I want to give them 10 bucks a month. I just want Philip DeFranco to be able to continue to make videos. So I toss him like five bucks a month. Right. And that's what people can do. You can toss a dollar a month. You can toss $5 a month. I have a $10 tier where you get, you know, access to a secret Instagram account. You get uh, access to a secret podcast that I do for the patrons. I stream uh, every week just with my patrons. And uh, it's, it's really, really, it's a really, really good thing. I think I like giving people money and I like it that people care enough to say, yeah, I'm going to give Grim Green 10 bucks a month just to keep doing what you're doing. And yeah, I give them all sorts of perks. I give them, I treat them like kings. I try to give them as much as I possibly can, as much of my attention as they can. You know, if someone, you could email me, nick at grimgreen.com, and you may never receive a response. But if you're a patron and you DM me on Patreon, I'll give you 24 hours and I'll, and I'll have responded already. Instant access. And so this is just a way for me to continue to be able to do what I do. If if I didn't have a Patreon, there would be no more Grim Green. I wouldn't be doing videos. I would be updating my resume, trying to find a job in Los Angeles. Yeah. But, and it, you know, and it was a big shift. It was a, just a, a thing I had to do. I went, this revenue has gone. How am I going to pay my bills? Let's see if anybody wants to do a Patreon. And thankfully, I have an amazing audience. Uh, the, all my Patreon slots are full right now, I believe. I cap them off. I keep them, you know, I cap them off so that everybody can't flood in there. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why I do that. I kind of do that, I guess, to keep it a little bit exclusive or something like that. But I cap them off. And I've had these patrons for, you know, a, 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 way over a year now, a year and a half now. And we hang out all the time and I've got to know them. And I know they're, you know, one of my patrons, uh, Thomas Crow, came to California and went to Disneyland with his family. And I said, can I come hang out? And I just went and, and hung out with one of my patrons, you know, for a few hours at Disneyland. Just crashed their family vacation. Wow, that's great. And another guy, FS Vapes, did the same thing. He's like, hey, we're taking the kids to Disneyland. And I was like, are you down for Grim Green to crash? Like, And I just went. And we hung out for a little bit, rode a ride. And it's like, all right, well, thank you for being a patron. I'll see you on the internet and I'll drive back home. You know, 
I've gotten to know them. It's become like this group of just really, really dedicated, awesome people that are down for the cause. And they're, they, they help Grim Green be Grim Green. Without them, I, I would have, I, there would be no Grim Green. Well, hey, man, brother. All. Well, hey, good you know? on your Patreon, uh, folks. Oh, yeah. Yo, yo, that's what we say. Yo, yo, to the cool kids club. Oh, that's nice. That's good. Yes. Well, yeah. I expect and you guys to be way cooler than me. There's no doubt. <laughs> I, I'm a regulations guy, and I and and I and I'm too cool for the regulations guys. So you know, uh, I'm stuck in between. Yeah. Well, you 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 you've created your own uh, your own your own little genre here. It's like it's not stuffy. It's chill. It's it's hip. You're you're a cool guy. You're not like. Anderson Cooper, <laughs> cooler than Anderson Cooper, you know. <laughs> I'm straighter than Anderson Cooper, too, as well. <laughs> By the way, just so you know, any women out there locally in the neighborhood, I'm single. Now, um, no, I appreciate that. Thank you very much uh, for that. We didn't, you know, I was I was stuck. I mean, I knew that we were going to get hit by some changes, too, as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's why I started planning all of the live suite stuff last mm -hmm. year at this time. This time last year, we had zero live capability. So, oh. so it, this is not, it's not, in fact, a year this time, RegWatch's website still never even had any articles on it uh, oh, from wow. vaping because I still, I, it was our, it was our old website. Um, it was last January. I redid the entire website and then I started actually uh, curating vaping articles because I didn't do that for the first little four years. I did it for mm -hmm. all of the other topics that we, we were following, but not for vaping because you have to curate the bad stories. And when I did that, of course, people went nuts, went just insane. So for four years, I just went, well, I'm only doing our original content because I couldn't just do our original content, which is pro vaping to the extent that mm -hmm. it's, it's from the position that vaping saves lives. If vaping is, you know, safer than smoking, blah, blah, blah. So Harm all of our stuff is approached yeah. from that point of view. So I couldn't do that. And then also as well, load up the site with only pro vaping stories from right. all, for, I just couldn't do that. And people refused to allow RegWatch without complaint. So for four years, we didn't do that. Mm, and so it was only last yeah. year that we, in January this time, we started doing that. So yeah. I mean, our changes at RegWatch have all been within this last 12 months, including setting up our ability to do um, uh, fan funding. It didn't quite fit for us at first because of, you know, we're news and everything else. You know, we're not... Yeah building relationships off like you are, are and providing extras and stuff. I tried to tear all that out and yeah. it just didn't, it just didn't feel right. And then right when we were figuring out, are we going to do it or not? Um, is when, um, Patreon kicked off, uh, Argon, uh, uh, Argon, Argon. Avasad. Is that it? He's so sound familiar to me. Yeah. He's the big, he's the British YouTuber that got into trouble over some, over some oh, language. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. That it was, and so he got kicked off of Patreon. And so uh, Dave Rubin and Jordan Peterson both left Patreon over it. Mm. And then, and as that happened, I get, I saw the Patreon CEOs on some, you know, on Rogan or whatever, in a few places. And I took one look at them and I went, these guys are the fucking problem. <laughs> like these human beings are a part of the group. I mean, I don't care. You can look at people. There is such a thing as a type. They are yeah. that type. And so <laughs> I couldn't, problem. I couldn't trust my business with them. Yeah. Um, so, but so I'm happy to hear that that works is working for you. Yeah. Totally. Right. I, 
it works. It works out. It's easy to manage. Uh, it's it's re- it's really been. And before I did my Patreon, it was one of the most nerve wracking things I've ever gone through because you're you're basically just putting it out there that like, hey, I I I need money. <laughs> this is how this is my job, and YouTube's not paying me anymore. Right. So if you guys wanted to jump on, that would be great. And I was really nervous, and I made the Patreon, and I put it out there. It was one of those things like as soon as I did it, I said, well, what was I so worried about? People not only jumped on board, they, they, they wanted to jump on board. They couldn't wait. They were stoked. They were stoked to be a part of it. And I thought, all right, like this is how this works. I get it. Like let's – I get – you're stoked to be here. I'm stoked that you're here. Let's be stoked together and and, and let's have fun. And uh, it, it's, it's honestly just been uh, – really, really great. I mean, really great money aside and the ability to pay my bills aside. I've met, uh, so many great people through the Patreon. I've made friends. I mean, through the Patreon, there's people in my Patreon that I would consider like my buds, you know, and that's just, that's something you can't, you can't put a price on. I've always been all about that human connection. It's always been really, really important to me. And so with my patrons, you get to know me. You got un, uh, almost unlimited access. Well, that's and excellent. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, how does your wife sit? <laughs> oh, she loves it. She, she, they love her too. Um, my wife's name is uh, Casey. We call her Pickle. It's her nickname is Pickle. And so occasionally she'll talk to the patrons or she'll jump on the secret Instagram account and be like, oh, it's a Pickle hack. I'm going to stream today. And they'll come and they'll hang out with my wife. Well, I'm not even, I'm traveling across the country and she's at home streaming with my patrons and they're having fun hanging out with her. It's great. They, they like her and she likes being a part of it. We do a podcast together just for my patrons as well. It's just been overall a really incredible experience that I, you know, it's one of those, like, I didn't know what I was so worried about. Excellent. I don't know what I was so worried about. Oh, that's excellent news. Yeah. I, I have similar experience because I was apprehensive as well, too. And I've been thrilled with the response. We have yeah. a ton of individual supporters who I keep promising to get up onto our, our support page. And it was supposed to happen over Christmas. But, of course, I lost access to my joints. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and I'm just recovering, everybody. So I've had two days, the first two days in a row where I've been able to actually work without shearing pain from the mouse. Unbelievable. I, I, wow. I, I highly recommend people don't get tendonitis. Uh, no, if the that kids, doesn't sound fun at all. Yeah, if the kids are talking about it and saying it's cool, it's not. So, yeah, yeah, it's bad news. But anyhow, <laughs> the, the um, yeah, so individual supporters have been fantastic too. And so I, we will get their names up here shortly. So I, I do agree with you. And because we're our, our primary audience has always been on Facebook, right? Uh, YouTube mm-hmm. never gave us any love because we were always regulations. I mean, we never, yeah. we were, you know, we were always talking about, you know, smoking stats and this and that, right? I mean, it just was never yeah. going to trend. And so, yeah. and so. It's we, nothing real sexy. You're not talking about anything real sexy. There's no yeah. clickbait. There's no, there's no nothing. There's no circles on your thumbnail with an arrow <laughs> going 10 things you missed about, you know. There's How do you do that? About that. <laughs> yeah, there's not. Well, and the worst, the worst thing too is that, like, even writing cl- clickbait uh, titles. I'm, a, I'm happy that you said that because, I mean, I, I, I can't in my new sense do it. And of course, you know, I try to push as hard as I can in that. And there's, you know, mm-hmm. we've got some years under our belt now, and so 
I like to think we're getting a little bit better on it, but I absolutely know the line. There's no way I could work at Vox or work at BuzzFeed. Yeah. I, I can't, no. I physically could write those lines. I, fi I physically cannot write those lines. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the difference between a journalist and BuzzFeed. <laughs> I mean, that's, let's be honest. That's a true point. There's no doubt. Yeah. Well, no, I, well, I'm thrilled. And I'm so, you know, I, I don't talk about my supporters in the same way um, just because of that, probably on the mm -hmm. news value side. But we wouldn't be here without them. And whether they're vape shop owners or individual vapers or some, you know, some of the companies that are still able to help out, it's been fantastic. So, and we're yeah. going strong for 2020 with everyone's help. So awesome. speaking of that for 2020, yeah. so Nick, I, I, I'm going to put you into the spot now. Okay. Where are the problems with the vaping community in terms of fighting this? Uh, you know what? I, I don't think we have a lot of uh, problems right now. Um, I, I'm really very proud of the vape community and the vape industry. I was, you know, I was telling you before we put an army of vapors on Twitter and this is something we talked about a little bit yesterday, but I feel like post 9-11, 2019, every vapor became radicalized. Every vapor started reading the issues, started reading the science. They got active. They got active in Facebook groups. They got active on Facebook. They got active on Twitter. And they've just become, I mean, not militarized, but like radicalized. They're, they're in this now. They're, they're part of this big conversation that's happening on, uh, on social media and Twitter. And, you know, when I go, I used to go on Twitter to talk about advocacy or to see advocacy things. And there was no vapor presence, very, very little vapor presence. And now I can see a tweet from some congressman who says, oh, we're going to, you know, this, this county, we're going to ban vaping because of the kids in the epidemic and they're attracted to the flavors. And I would click on it to make a comment. And I just scroll through and I just see comment after comment after comment after comment, just dozens of vapors all all commenting on this guy it's like it's like they get there before even i can get there and that just makes me so proud i mean th this community you know once upon a time we used to call each other slacktivists and how we really didn't care and we were more concerned about cloud comps and vape models than we were about advocacy and now i am so proud of how radicalized we become and how intensely just I honestly think I honestly think that they thought that we would have given up by now I kind of thought I kind of think that they thought we would just we tried and then the flavor bands happened and now okay well that's whatever but we're not we are relentless we we keep going we keep tweeting I mean every day I go on Twitter and I see tweets from Dimitri and tweets from Matt and tweets from uh, you know Logan and all these people and it's just never ending and it's only it's only growing and we're only getting more people involved and more people radicalized and everybody is really taking this seriously it's like we all just went okay wait <laughs> we're not going to get to have any of this fun vape stuff if we don't do this right now so let's do this right now so what it what's just, the right so what's the right message then to take because uh, you know, see, that's the problem is there isn't like a 
the, the blanket message, I guess, that, I, that we've been using on Twitter is we vape, we vote. Exactly. Hashtag we vape, we vote. We're vapors and we're voters. We're the vape vote. You can't, you can't deny us anymore. In fact, we, you know, we're talking about libertarians before. The Libertarian Party set up a website called that's vape.vote, and it's to cater to the vape vote talks about vaping and how the government's overregulating it and you know the Royal College of Physicians and harm reduction and and liberty and freedom they set that up you know in the mix in the midst of all of this and so the vape vote I think is is really the key we vape we vote I think that's a very universal term that every politician understands because politicians live and die by votes I mean I, I can't imagine a vapor in Massachusetts ever voting for for charlie baker is that the guy in massachusetts governor charlie baker yes. in massachusetts i can't imagine a vapor in that state ever voting for him ever again so that's and that's a powerful thing it totally is now on the state level i got it but how does that we vape we vote translate on a national level because that pretty much just means trump doesn't it well it, it does for now but we have an election coming up this year and that's why you know our message has been really directed at FDA, really directed at Donald Trump. I, I think we need to diversify a little bit, whether you like them or not. We have to start appealing to the left. We have to start getting in their ear when we have, you know, uh, potential Democratic candidates like uh, Andrew Yang and Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden all talking about how. Oh, vaping, it's very, very bad. And if it's if it's hurting people, then we're definitely going to ban it. And we're going to take a hard stance on this vaping issue. And, you know, I don't expect Bernie Sanders to be a subject matter about everything he's talking about. But I would appreciate a little bit more of a deep dive before you make that announcement that, yeah, we're going to ban vaping. You yeah. have to start appealing to the left in some capacity. I don't know how to do that. I've never tried to appeal to the left before, so I don't know how to do that, but I think we have to diversify a little bit. Yeah, it's a challenge, isn't it? Um, it really is. You would think that there would be an adequate appeal to the left uh, on social justice. Somehow sure. this should, could have been framed as a social justice issue. Social issue? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, and yeah. I, what the only thing that I can think of, and this is something that Matt Cully has also said, is uh, you know a lot of the left right now, especially people like Bernie Sanders, are all in for uh, universal health care, right? Medicare for all. That's their that's what's one of the big platforms. It's either climate or Medicare for all. That's the thing. The way that we could appeal to the left is if they are for Medicare for all, then it's in the best interest of them to keep their citizens healthy. And switching from smoking to vaping is much less harmful for you. So it would be in the government's best interests to let us vape to keep those medical costs for the government down. That's the only th thing I can think of to appeal to the left. Well, and that that is under the assumption, though, that they would believe that vaping is yes, a lot safer. Yes, they have to. Right, than smoking. You know, and Bernie Sanders went on the Joe Rogan podcast and... Uh, you know, he seems like a very reasonable guy. I don't really f support a lot of the stuff he's about, but he was telling Joe Rogan, he said, I'm a man of science. He said, I'm a man of science. I want science-based le legislation. And I said, great, 
Me too. I'm a man of science. We want science-based legislation. And then just for a, a few months later for Bernie Sanders to come out and say that he wants to ban vaping, I just said, you're either a liar or you're just wrong or you're uninformed. You know, you can't, these politicians can't continue to keep claiming ignorance because the information's out there. The science is there, but they're, they're still claiming ignorance. So Bernie's a communist. Well, he's a democratic socialist. Okay, so he's a Marxist. Can we agree on that? So he's a Marxist. He's a, Marxist, a little bit, right. yes. He's a Marxist. So that's right. So, so their entire understanding of science is based on, Marxism is a science, by the way. That's the whole, th the whole point, is that Marx went, our philosophy is science. Everything that you think of what science is, is not what they mean when they say science. They, they're, they're, it's actually, it's a huge, when you put science and social together, <laughs> right, then you'll understand how yeah. it's not a science, right? And so yeah. all, all of the Marxian ideology, it, they, see the, they see that as science. So for them, they don't see science as this thing that you can prove that you have a thing and you, you know, when you go out and try to demonstrate it with things and prove it, they don't do yeah. that. You can see that with vaping, right? Is they don't actually really apply a true scientific method to vaping. If they did, we'd have, we'd have much more similar results across everything. We'd have much, probably much less knee jerk reactions, probably even maybe in place, current reasonable regulations. Like this could have been solved years ago but nothing was done and i blame scott gottlieb 800 percent for that because he came into office in 2017 and just his first order of business was the low nicotine cigarettes not didn't even bat an eye to jewel didn't didn't say anything about vaping nothing about jewel he just extended the deadline and then low nicotine cigarettes and that is scott gottlieb's legacy in the fda well he created that the epidemic and 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 low nicotine cigarettes. Right. So in my mind, his legacy is epidemic and clear and present danger. Right. Mm -hmm. By using those terms, that I mean, yes. you can't get farther than that. Those are the two yeah. terms. You know, you can quarantine cities with those two words. The, yeah. And it kills me just the way that they just drag their feet. And Scott Gottlieb is just as guilty of dragging his feet when he says things like, "Well." The 2017 National Youth Tobacco Survey showed an uptick in youth vaping. And instead of doing anything to address it, his solution was, so if next year that trend continues, then we'll have no choice but to regulate it and step in and use our enforcement. He just left a whole year for the epidemic to just flourish. He knew that youths were vaping, did nothing, let them continue vaping, and then still has done nothing. I blame him 100%. Uh, yeah, I, I don't have a lot of good things to say either on that yeah. note. I mean, yeah. the thing is, is that uh, Scott Gottlieb, um, it, yeah, he's twisted. Because after he left FDA, he's a flip flopper, man. All the things he's been saying to the media have been market yeah. moving. There is no way that Scott Gottlieb's public statements after he left FDA are legal. It's just only in this crazy world where, of course, all the Democrats are trying to kill Trump. 
and all the Republicans yeah. are just doing their thing, right? It's only yeah. in this crazy world, right? When you have CIA chiefs, you know, on being paid on CNN, Brennan. Mm -hmm. It's only mm -hmm. in this crazy world that the the FDA commissioner can leave, and within three weeks, he's making statements on CNBC that are moving the market. Yeah, that are moving the market, it, and it seems like he's now saying the complete opposite of everything he said while he was with the FDA. Everything he said. He said, oh, this has always been a jewel issue. It's always been a jewel issue. He's critical of what the FDA is doing now, even though that's just where he just came from. He could have done something, but he didn't. He left it to the next administration or, you know, Ned Sharpless, the acting FDA commissioner. And then as soon as he's gone, now he's being hypercritical of the of the government group that he was just a part of. Right. Crazy world. Clown Cra world. Well, crazy town, right? That's what we call crazy town. We call it today's episode crazy, crazy town. town. Hey, so look, we're you know, this is a different kind of an episode, obviously, than than we normally do. It's a bit more. We're just loosey goosey here. So yeah, I like going, this. Yeah, so do I, too. Um, so I've got something that I've not yet shown our audience. I mentioned okay. it once back in end of November, maybe early December that I had this data. I don't really know if it's going to deliver anything for us, but I figured, why don't we take a quick look at this together and then sure, see if sure. there's anything in here that's uh, of value. Now, this is, um, this is the U S uh, cigarette disruption by MSA. So this is January, July, 2019 is this data. So MSA, for those that don't know, is uh, the term for mar it's the markets, market service area, I think it was, marketing service area. So marketing service area, it, it first started with uh, radio stations, and this is driven out of the U.S. In Canada, we have them too. Uh, okay. So this is your, market, your MSA, your market servicing area. It all started with- Because MSA has a different connotation in the United States with tobacco control. Why I'm, That's why I was why I'm explaining it. That's okay. why I'm explaining yeah. it. That's what, okay. Yeah. Thank so, you. Sorry, Brent. No problem. No problem. So the Your MSA show. is, so a radio, radio station goes up. It's got a, the most powerful, whichever one's got the most powerful tower. So the range in which that radio station can hit in its broadcast, that becomes, mm -hmm. uh, the MSA. Okay. So that's, that's the marketing service area. So, okay. and then, so then that's where the ratings come. So they will do ratings for all the radio stations within that. And then, then when TV happened, the same thing happened. Because marketing marketing has to be uh, done up. It'll, you take Dallas and you go, well, which parts of Dallas include Dallas when we do ratings in this? All sure. marketing is broken up based on this. So sure. So, but I wanted to explain that only because, of course, MSA. Yeah, yeah, different MSA. Different MSA. Okay, so let me just uh, let's just see here. There is, I mean, I think there is something of worthwhile for us to look at in here. But yeah. instead of, in, it's definitely a live stream thing though. Okay. Okay, so we have, this is cigarettes versus jewel volume. Okay, okay. Okay. This is, okay, that's New York. So, uh, so this goes back to 2015. Okay, so we're just we're just breaking this out here. Okay, New York total jewel. Okay, 
sorry, this is my, you can tell my uh, mouse arm is not yet fully <laughs> working yet. Sorry, that's, that's the injury. Okay, so let's see great? here, let's see here. Trailing 12 weeks. So, okay, so, okay, so this is broken down SF, this must be Jewel, uh, San Francisco. Okay. So, San Francisco, look at this. Oh, oh yeah. So, 2017, 11.04. Yep. So, right at the end, November of 2017. And then, yeah. uh, and Jewel. Jewel. So, Jewel started hitting nationally before it hit San Francisco. Look at that. Interesting. That's interesting. So, there was. Uh, oh, that uh, is interesting. Already national uh, in 16, 130.16. So, and then it really does its jump into 12, uh, into here. So that's, that's September 27, 2017. And then mm -hmm. San Francisco is on November. And then look at this. So all small numbers. Look at it grown Ashley. Yeah. And then here we go. So this is May and June. So it starts yep. really jumping. So just in January of 2018, that's when I started noticing pieces coming out of say like San Diego and stuff. Right. Yeah. So it was all the seeded early seeded stuff. And then, mm -hmm. and then by March, by the end of March, I already had uh, Demetrius on the show where we were doing an episode about a coordinated orchestrated attack nationally. Yeah. So it, yeah. it was three months. So January to the end of March of 2018. And so if we look at these numbers and we see this right here, we can see the timing is almost exact. Yeah. Yeah, almost exact. And then look at this. Look at this. This is September 2018. This is when Gottlieb made his announcement. And and so it's only after September that the numbers start going through the roof nationally. Yes. So it's not, I mean, yeah, they're they're increasing, but they they just start shooting. Yeah, they rock it up. Well, yeah, like so is I mean, is that due to Scott Gottlieb? Well, no, but no, the it's whole not, thing I mean, was, but Gottlieb was a part of the whole, the whole media plan was going on where it was just mm -hmm. became nightly news. And mm -hmm. so that was promoting Jewel. They were like thinking, oh, we're doing all these bad stories about Jewel. No, they're not. They were just making oh, Jewel yeah. cool, right? So, yeah. So, I mean, they added, they added, um, I mean, they, I mean, they took a, what was a 10%, you know, up to 17% in, in eight, eight or nine months. I, you know, and I've always maintained that nobody markets vaping to youths like the government does. Totally. In California, it's all you see everywhere. I, I have some videos on my Instagram. I was down uh, in Hollywood, and there's just this wall of anti-vaping propaganda, with pictures of jewels and pictures of kids vaping jewels, and like it's real cool and hip and real Apple looking, like it's you know vivid colors, and it says. You know, addiction, nicotine, uh, anxiety, ditch jewel, no vapes, and things like this. The number one reason given was curiosity. I wonder what made them so curious. Oh, God. It couldn't possibly be all these citywide, you know, anti-vaping things that are really just advertisements for jewel. The government has given Jewel the greatest like uh, PR campaign they could have possibly asked for. Oh, there's no doubt. Yeah, oh, no, I mean, no doubt. It's crazy. So let, let, let me show you. I totally agree with you. So when it, whenever anybody says, makes the doll money argument and stuff, 
I will always remind them that don't forget the ideology is, you know, a huge part of this, but never discounting the money. And so thinking about the money, now money. here's the same data. Again, this is exclusive money. data. I mean, I cannot tell you who gave this to me. This is slipped, Ooh. leaked data. This is just not wow. something analysis that you can just find anywhere. This is yeah. a watch exclusive. So look this at this. This is some real it's, James Bond quantum of solace kind of thing. Oh, happening so here. much. All money. right. Yeah, yeah, it's like came in on my watch and then I had to yeah. decode it. <laughs> it was totally for sure. So here we go. This is San Francisco in in chart. The black line is cigarette volume. Okay. The the teal line is dual volume. Jewel. Yeah. Yeah. What's that date? What's that takeoff date? That uh, November 16, actually, it looks like November 16. Really? Well, that's when the cigarettes dropped. And and yeah. so and then the jewel because the jewels have been around for a while. But this is San, yeah, Fran this is San Francisco. So yeah. that's right in their hub. Right. Yeah. This is Denver. Oh, yeah. So that cigarettes down, jewels up. Yeah, like look at the look at this. I mean, that's kill, killing their business, man. Killing their business. Well, what the hell? Killing their business. Killing their business. Boston. This is Boston. Oh, look at that. So no wonder they're trying to ban vaping because they yeah. need, they want this number back up. And every of course they do in Seattle. Look at this. Yeah. So I mean. It it's not even that far off. It's not even that like Alex Jones tinfoil hat. It's this is very well documented that state revenue is directly tied to cigarette sales. States make money off of tobacco taxes, not just some money, lots of money, <laughs> loads of truckloads of money. Uh, tie that to their MSA payments that they get that is also tied directly to cigarette sales in the state. Vape bans and flavor bans start to make a little bit more sense. Yeah, it totally does. There's no doubt. I mean, there's, no doubt. There's no doubt. There, no doubt. I was a little surprised. Uh, Paul Blair was on the show. He was our for our first episode back after Christmas, and um, mm -hmm. he said something very interesting. I've been cu very curious about what's going to happen when the uh, uh, well, I don't call it the MSA if I can, because actually, technically, it's the settlement agreement. Right, so, master settlement agreement. No, yeah. it's not master actually. Master, not master? No, no, no. A hundred percent, it's not called the master settlement agreement. It's called the settlement agreement. Okay. But anyhow, it doesn't matter. Everyone knows it as the MSA, yeah, right? MSA. So, but, um, but, you know, I'm a stickler for these things. So. But, okay. um, uh, so it's up soon. It was a 25-year deal. It'll be up in three years. Is that right? Yes. Right? Yes. And so yep. I've always been under the assumption that that part of the plan here is to take uh, vaping you know, kill the virtues of vaping and then put it and so make it be as deadly as smoking or even deadlier. And so you can move it over from the safe category into the same risk category as yes. as combustibles. And then they'll just naturally be there for when they need to renegotiate the settlement agreement and, and then they'll yeah. put vaping in it. Mm -hmm. Right. But Paul Blair said they're not going to do that. There won't be a new agreement in his mind. No. He doesn't think there's going to be a new agreement? No, he says that it's going to be... Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, that kind of makes sense. I mean, all things considered, it does kind of make sense that there wouldn't be a new settlement agreement. I mean, and the states were really irresponsible with the settlement agreement from to begin with. 
I mean, they took out bonds based on future projected tobacco tax sales, and they did it to themselves. New York did this to themselves. I have no sympathy for New York. They did this to themselves. <laughs> no new settlement agreement. Yeah, the idea being, no. of course, is that is that the original uh, pressure was from the fact that mm-hmm. the states had all these health care costs. Yep. Right? And so this should be a done deal. And yeah. I, I think we need to start putting this really on the table. Because if that's the case, well, then, then, then that takes away some of the money argument about driving this. Because if, if that truly is the case, and there is no pressure to do in another agreement, then maybe we're getting this wrong, mm-hmm. talking so much about the agreement. Because that's no. that past tense. If the agreement's yeah. over in three years. I mean, yeah, if the agreement's the, over in three years. Well, I mean, and... I know that some of these bonds that that were taken out by some of these states uh, to get the money up front are coming due before the end of the uh, before this end of the settlement agreement. I mean, if I unless I'm wrong, I think that's what's happening, and I think that's what they're trying to protect. They're trying to not default on these bonds. I would agree with that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that could be. But the future, though, is interesting because I just the assumed future, that, yeah. I would assume that they were that I assumed that tobacco free kid campaign for tobacco free kids and Matt Myers, you know, who orchestrated the entire uh, settlement agreement back in the late nineties, that and Truth and everybody else, are they not wondering where their money is going to be coming from, or ha- or have they sorted that out and we just don't know what it is yet? Now, Paul Blair mentioned that he believes that that's all going to be coming from all these new local and state taxes that are getting brought in place. And he's, you know, brought mm. a bunch of examples uh, to the table in the interview on that. However, though, that, those are piecemeal. The left likes the big thing, the big, that's why yeah. they like the settlement agreement. It, you know, mm-hmm. it was just one big 25 year deal worth billions. Mm-hmm. They, they can't. So is campaign for tobacco free kids or where all this other money has been going they're not going to want to, you know, be relying on local taxes or state taxes here and willy-nilly here and there. So what's their plan to either they've got a plan to replace those billions or or what? <laughs> or or what? Yeah, or what? I have no idea. I mean, can they I don't think they could show I don't I don't know. I don't think they could show enough harm from vaping to justify another settlement agreement. But that's what, that's what I believe they were trying to do. Yeah. Right. I don't think they could. I don't know, man. Like the, the judge, the federal, the federal court judge in the, um, NGO versus FDA case that unlocked the PMTA thing that forced this new made deadline. That judge, he fully 100%, uh, uh, bought the entire, you know, drank the entire Kool-Aid. He was social justice warring, uh, uh, not, not a word of science, flavors are bad, vaping is bad, and, and that's in, his, in the, the, settle, uh, the, in the um, ruling. Mm-hmm. So I don't trust the fact that federal judges and stuff like that aren't going to be fully baked into the cake with this. It would be insane. I mean, it would be the most ass-backwards thing I could possibly think of to come to a point possibly in the United States where vaping is demonized to the point where there's a new settlement agreement 
but in other countries, it's completely embraced in order to get people off of cigarettes. I mean, this is what I'm saying, man. Expect it. Like it's it's a valid possibility. I I don't I can't I can't think about that, Brent. <laughs> I can't. I, that's not. I don't want to live in that America. That's crazy talk. Yeah, that is crazy talk. It's not. It's not good. Here, I'm just. Let me find. You know, let me find this. Um, and let me find this. It's really important because no one's talking about this. It's been on our radar for some time. I just always assumed that the plan was to to ro roll vaping into the, the settlement agreement. And uh, and that, honestly, I mean that if you look at it from that point of view, it all makes sense. Why would they go so far? To to they threw they've thrown everything they can at it, national mm -hmm. media worldwide, politicians right down to the local level, they they've literally are programming people to believe that vaping is as deadly as smoking. Yeah, I mean they they'd have to show it though. They'd have to prove it. Um, Dan my Danielle Jones in the chat says the vaping industry would have to be sued or agree to enter the agreement. Maybe that's why Altria has such a huge stake in Jewel. Maybe they're going to try to get Jewel into the agreement. But that's what I'm thinking. I'm, if, I'm assuming Altria would agree to that. That's exactly it. And there's lawsuits going on right now against Jewel. There's even class action lawsuits that's that I it. see on TV. That's it. If you've suffered the effects of Jewel or nicotine, you can call this number and be part of a class action lawsuit. That's right. So if you only leave Jewel standing it gets really easy to put them inside the uh, new settlement agreement. For yeah, one, there are, if, for one, they're and, tobacco. Yeah. It's a, technically a tobacco product. comes in tobacco and menthol. Uh, and I mean, so, so this is what, this is go what I think planned, is going on. This is, exactly, standing. this is exactly what I think is happening here. Wow. I don't want to think about that. I don't like that. Yeah, sometimes I think sometimes uh, I do bring uh, bad news. Yeah, I mean that's a real bummer, Brand. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so I think it, you know, at the end of the day, I still believe very very strongly money aside, tobacco taxes, settlement agreements, science, harm reduction, yes. It's a liberty issue. It's an adult choice issue. You, we have to continue, like Clive Bates says, to bang the drum for adult choice. Because, you know, what happens, you know, right now we have uh, the UK, Public Health England, uh, Cancer Research UK, all very, very in favor of vaping in order to get their citizens off of tobacco cigarettes. This is a very reasonable thing. What happens in the UK when everybody's switched? Is there going to be a reason to defend vapor use if there's nothing that's that's worse than vaping? If there's no harmful alternative, is there a reason to be using this less harmful alternative? What does that look like when more people vape than smoke or when smoking is completely gone? Is there a reason to defend their use after that? We think Public Health England is going to be still on board with vaping once everybody's quit smoking? There has to be a reason to defend their use regardless. Well, I don't want to be the one to choice. point out to an American about how you know stubborn Americans are. We're stubborn. That's fine. I accept that. So let me show you this. This is the memorandum opinion uh, in the 
NGO versus FDA case. And this came out, I believe, I guess it was in August of um, 2019. I think that's right. And this is the actual, this is, so this is the ruling where um, FDA lost and got forced mm -hmm. into uh, this accelerated timeline of the 10 month PMTA. This is the language from the judge. It was bound to happen just as email and text messages replaced, quote, snail mail, quote, social media made face-to-face -face communications passe, and the internet rendered libraries all but obsolete. It was only a matter of time before electronic cigarettes replaced combustible tobacco products as a desirable means of nicotine delivery. As it yep, turns out, good things. <laughs> as it turns out, even addiction has become electronic. And not only among adults, but particularly for teenagers and younger kids, especially as manufacturers of e-cigarette products have learned, if they are fruit or dessert flavored and marketed as cool and alluring, and then they got uh, uh, Gottlieb since, uh, right, oh God, I just can't read yeah. him anymore. Yeah. All right, and so, okay, so our uh, judge here says the surgeon, no, sorry, that's Gottlieb still. So hold on, I'm getting there. Oh, I think that was enough. That was enough. That's too much. Because there's so much. They have, they have such this narrow, uh, narrow minded view of vaping. You know, he's saying, oh, email and text messages have replaced snail mail. Not really. People still send snail mail. I get snail. I got some snail mail today. It's how I get some bills. It's how I get things in the mail. Totally. And email isn't the it's different than snail mail. Dude, and this is a federal court is judge. Different. This is yeah. a federal court judge writing I, it, writing it, an opinion piece in his. Yeah. It was bound to happen. What the hell are you talking about? How did you're a yeah you're a federal court judge. He's a federal As court it turns judge. Out, man, addiction and not, becomes electronic. Yeah. He's well. He's a leftist. He's a progressive. Right. There's no doubt. Yeah. Now this is what's interesting about him is uh, is this is who he is. I've never ever shown a picture of him yet in an episode because just from a journalistic's point of view, if I was doing a piece on this ruling, it would yeah. seem to be unseemly for me to show him. But we're not doing a piece on on this issue tonight, and so <laughs> yeah. I'm showing up. This is his doofus. This is the guy. You take one look at him and you go, "Oh, I understand." Yeah, I get, I get it. Yeah, I get it. I get, I get it. you. I, I see you there with the bow tie. And he was a military man. His career yeah. was in the military. He was a, in in the JAG judicial whatever office. So he's a Unreal. he was a Navy lawyer, I think is what he was, and he's an Obama appointee, of course. Yeah. So yeah. that's not, not super shocking. This is the so if 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 federal court judges are doing that with this issue, there is no safety in court. No, that's. <laughs> That's unbelievable. I've never read that memo before, but that just blew my mind open. That's kind of unbelievable. Yeah, well, check out our we we check out our piece we did with um, Azim uh, Chowherty. Chow, Chow um, yeah, from uh, Keller and Heckman. Yeah, uh, my my mouth is gone today. Um, yeah. From back in August of last year, um, so we did a good piece on that and called <laughs> NGO versus FDA. So, okay, so let's try to pick it up. Uh, just okay. so we're going to close her off here. So mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. what can, in your mind, because it sounds like you've got some peeps that you're, you're in cahoots with. 
cahoots. You're in you cahoots. Say. You're in some cahoots. So how can people get involved to help fight this fight? How can they be a part of a Twitter army and so forth? Uh, really, the easiest thing to do uh, is start a Twitter account. Start a Twitter account. Get Search for the hashtag WeVapeWeVote. It's going to bring you to all sorts of resources, all sorts of tweets, and you end up just going down the Twitter rabbit hole. You know, you'll follow somebody and you'll see who they follow. And then you, you follow these people and they constantly, I mean, Twitter is something that is on in the background of everything I do all day long because I don't want to miss things. You know, there's the, the news cycles happen so fast and it's all happening on Twitter. And You'll see We Vape, We Vote. You'll see all sorts of people posting. There's great people to follow. Follow Matt Cully. Uh, you can follow me if you want to. You can follow Dimitri. You can follow uh, Greg Connolly. He's a very, very knowledgeable advocate. And the American Vaping Association, obviously, CASA. And just jump in. You know, don't be timid. You just jump in. You can tweet at politicians. You can tweet directly at the people making these laws. You can just jump right into it. Um, what I've tried to do to make things a little bit easier is, and I know uh, Chloe and MTurk have done the same thing, but I just put a page on my website. If you go to grimgreen.com slash advocate, it's, it's essentially my personally compiled list of helpful links, resources, studies, articles, quotes uh there's media there's pictures you can share that involve smoking rates and the msa and the 2019 and 2018 national youth tobacco surveys it's a little bit like social media what do i call it on there social media quote unquote ammo mm. and it's that's just my personally cultivated list of articles and studies and things that i have found helpful when you're on things like Twitter or Facebook and you're having a discussion about vaping or tobacco harm reduction or someone tells you that, that, you know, oh, it's making people sick, you can point to this article from Leafly that says, actually, no one got sick from nicotine. It was 100% related to, uh, you know, illicit black market vitamin E acetate, you know, dab carts and this, that and the other. And so that's kind of going to be like a, an always a work in progress. I just want you know, an informed advocate is an effective advocate. And the more that you read and the more that you absorb, the more comfortable you'll be talking about it and interacting with people on Twitter. So really, I just jump in. There's room for everybody. We got an army of vapors on Twitter. Everybody jump in. Everybody jump in the pool and get active. I agree. Now's the not, now is not the time for sitting back and having the pina colada. That's for no, sure. it's not. We can do that later after we've saved vaping. Absolutely. Well, look, yeah. Nick, thank you so much for coming on tonight. And Thank you, Brent. You bet. And just stick right there for a second, and uh, I'll be right back. Well, that's it, everybody, for tonight's show. And thank you so much for sticking around. It was great to have Nick uh, joining us on RegWatch. We get to talk about some things that aren't just solely about regulation, which is good. Yeah. Um, before you head off, though, please go to support.regulatorwatch.com. Take a look around, maybe put your hand in your wallet, kick over a few bucks to us. You'll be happy you did it, and so will we. And, of course, while on Facebook, don't forget to like us and follow us on Twitter. For RegulatorWatch.com, I'm Brent Stafford.